0: In 1980, a patrol was sent out to investigate the area around some strange glowing lights spotted in a forest near a military base. Led by US Air Force Colonel Charles Halt, they discovered what seemed like a UFO landing site and soon after found themselves chasing mysterious lights through the forest in the middle of the night. Welcome to Simply Strange, the podcast where anything spooky, weird, and goosebump-inducing is fair game. Hey guys, I've got a wild one for you today. We're going to be talking about what's probably the most well-known and well-documented UFO sighting in English history. This story is pretty crazy. I don't know about you guys, but alien stories always hit me in a way that nothing else really does. They just completely freak me out. And I think it's because I wholeheartedly believe that there's other life out there somewhere. The way I see it, it's basically mathematically impossible that aliens don't exist. Obviously, life is possible. The Earth is a pretty good example of that. Maybe the odds of it happening are really small, like the odds of winning the lottery. But as far as we know, the universe is infinite. So if you have infinite opportunities to win the lottery, eventually you're gonna win the lottery. So somewhere out there on those infinite planets, there has to be another one that can support life. I don't know if they can get to us or why they would ever want to get to us if they could, But let's say they did find their way here. That idea is so terrifying and so thrilling at the same time. We just have absolutely no idea what it would be like. And I think that is what makes a good UFO story so enticing. At least for me. Especially if it's coming from a halfway decent source. So many of those supposed alien abductees seem like they're just completely off their rocker. But today, we're talking about one of the good ones. We've got a reliable source and some pretty convincing evidence. So let's go ahead and get into it. RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge were a pair of military bases on the eastern coast of England in the county of Suffolk, about 100 miles northeast of London. They were originally built for use by the Royal Air Force, thus the names RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge, but in the early 1950s they were transferred to the U.S. Air Force, who was stationed there for the next 40 years. Bentwaters was situated just outside of Rendlesham Forest, to the north, and Woodbridge was kind of nestled into the western side of the forest, with the eastern half in the forest and the western half not. On December 26th, 1980, at 3am, a security patrol at Woodbridge spotted some strange lights near the back gate over Rendlesham Forest. They watched the lights descend into the forest, and they thought that maybe an aircraft had crashed. So they reported the sighting and requested permission to investigate. They were given approval to put together a team of patrolmen to proceed on foot and investigate whatever it was that they saw. This patrol, made up of Sergeant Penniston, Airman Burroughs, and Airman Cabanasac, entered the forest and encountered what they described as a glowing object with a dark, metallic appearance and strange markings. It was triangular, about 3 meters across on each side, and about 2 meters tall. It hovered and was able to cleanly maneuver through the forest without hitting any trees. It illuminated everything around it with a bright white light, and it had a pulsing red light on top, with a blue glow emanating from underneath it. The three men attempted to approach the strange glowing object, but as soon as they did, it quickly and silently vanished, supposedly sending the animals on a nearby farm into a frenzy. Pretty weird, right? It certainly spooked the three guys on the patrol. They actually called the local police, I'm not exactly sure what they were hoping the police were going to be able to do for them about this glowing UFO flying around in the woods but they called the police. The police showed up around 4 a.m. and surprisingly did not see any UFOs. However, there was a lighthouse a couple miles away on the coast, and its light was actually visible from the forest. So the police told our patrol guys, hey, you saw the light from the lighthouse, and then they left. The next morning, A couple men went back out to look for any other evidence of something weird going on the night before, and they ended up finding a clearing in the woods with a set of three impressions on the ground in a triangular pattern. Again, they called the local police to come take a look, and they said it looked like some sort of digging animal had made them. The police left, and that was that. All right. So the next chunk of this little tale is based mostly on the testimony of Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, who was the deputy base commander of both RAF Bentwaters and RAF Woodbridge. Two nights after the initial sighting of the strange lights and the encounter with the odd triangular craft, Charles was at a family Christmas party. He was speaking with the base commander when the two were approached by the on-duty flight commander, Lieutenant Bruce England, who Charles says was white as a sheet. Bruce informed the two of them that the quote-unquote UFO was back. At this point, Charles claims that he was a non-believer. He said he had heard the stories going around about the weird events from the night before, but he hadn't looked into it too much and he didn't really know all the details. To this point, he didn't really seem to care too much. But since this was the second time they had seen it, They had to take it a little more seriously this time, so his boss had to file a report, leaving Charles with the task of leading a party to investigate the sighting. He went home to change clothes, and by the time he returned to the base and assembled a team, the evening had turned into the early morning. Now this is when things started to get really interesting. Charles and his team, made up of a few security policemen and a disaster preparedness officer, set out into the forest. They brought some heavy-duty lights, a camera, and a Geiger counter to measure radiation. Additionally, Charles brought a handheld cassette recorder that he always carried with him anytime he was on duty. And it's really cool that he did this because they had a pretty interesting night and he was able to capture a lot of it on tape. As soon as they entered the forest, they started having some issues with their main light source which was this crazy contraption that they called a light-all. It's basically just floodlights strapped to a generator on wheels that they were rolling around the woods with them. They were having some issues with it. They couldn't get the lights to stay on, so they sent it back to the base to get fixed, and while they were waiting on the new one to make it out, they went to the nearby landing site to go run some tests. Here's a clip that Halt recorded as this was happening.
1: I can't get the light all to work. It seemed to be some kind of mechanical problem. Yeah. Let's send back another light. You can tell we to take some the Geiger Tire and uh, chase around here a little bit. Wait in of light off to my
0: Soon they arrived at the landing site and started doing some measurements with the Geiger counter around the area surrounding the indentations. They scanned all across the area and noticed a surprising increase in radiation around the indentations about eight or nine times more than what was present in the surrounding forest. This amount of radiation wasn't dangerous or anything, but according to Halt, it was significant. And it's especially interesting because of the discrepancy between the clearing and the surrounding areas. All this time, Halt is recording everything on his handheld cassette tape, but at this point, it's really just a couple guys yelling numbers at each other. So this part wasn't super interesting. And up until now, everyone is pretty composed. Halt acknowledged that the radiation levels were surprising, but he doesn't seem overly concerned with it. While they're doing their testing along the edge of the clearing, they noticed some abrasions on many of the trees surrounding it, all of which were facing inward, directly into the middle of the clearing, where the supposed landing marks are located. Upon further inspection, Halt assumes that the abrasions and the marks on the ground both occurred two nights before, when the lights were initially sighted, and he also observes a crystalline sap coming out of the trees in the damaged section. He notes that it's strange for the trees to be oozing sap so soon after sustaining damage. Discovering these abrasions is kind of where you can start to hear Halt becoming a little bit more warm to the possibility that something strange is going on.
1: facing at a blast, what we assume is a landing site, all have an abrasion facing in the same direction, towards the center, the same thing. Let's, let's go the, the way around the circle here. Turn it back down here. Pick a honey collection. Let me see that. That's kind of funny, that's, that's you're right about the abrasion. Uh, I've never seen a tree that's, uh, never seen a pine tree that the damage react that fast. I need a bottle to put that in. Yeah. yeah. We'll sit the soil. Okay. Yeah, oh. okay. Let's okay. identify that as point number one. That's stake there. So you all know where it is. We have to sketch it. You got that said, levels? Yes, sir. Okay. Closest to, Closest to the wood bridge base. Be point one. Be point one. Let's go clockwise from there. Point two. Point two? So this tree is between point two. Okay. Point two. Point two. Tell them negative at this time. We'll tell them when they can come out here. We don't want them out here right now. Okay, the, the sample, you're going to mark this sample number one, yes. having cut it off and include some of that sap and all, is between indentation two and three on a pine tree about... Uh, about 5 feet away, about three and a half feet off the ground. There's a round abrasion on the tree, about uh, 3 and a half four inches in diameter. It looks like it might be old, but uh, strange as a crystalline pine sap has come out that fast. You see, there's other trees here that are damaged in a similar fashion? Yes, so often. Toward okay, why don't you take a picture of that and Remember your picture, you got to be writing this down. Well, it's going to be on the tape. I've right. got a tape measure with you. This is the picture. Your first picture will be at the first tree, the one between uh, Mark 2 and 3. Meantime, I'm going to look a couple of these trees over here. We are getting some. You're getting rings on the tree you've taken samples from on the f- side facing the suspected landing site. Four clicks, max. Up to four. Interesting. That's right. you are taking the sample now. Four. Right. That's the strongest point on the tree? Yes, sir. If you come to the back, there's no clicks whatsoever. No okay. clicks at all on the back. It's all on the, the one side facing the... Interesting. The limitations look like something twisted as it got, you know, as it sat down on them. Looks like someone took something and sat it down and twisted it from side to side.
0: Mm-hmm. Very strange. So after they've looked at the abrasions and taken a couple pictures, Halt decides to take a look at them through a starlight scope. Which was a night vision device used at the time. We're
1: at the same tree we took the sample off with this, what do you call it, starscope. Uh-huh. star scope? Uh huh. Stars are getting a definite heat reflection off the tree about, about three or four feet off the ground. Yes, where the, exactly. the spot is. Same place for the spot as we're getting the heat. a spot on the tree directly behind us. I picked up the same thing. On your right. Sorry, Three trees it. in the area, immediately adjacent to the site, within 10 feet of the suspected landing site. We're picking up heat reflection off the trees. What's that again? Shine oh, the light on again, Bob. When well, you okay, have trouble? Yeah, get the light on, on the spot, and then when you want okay, them, the you'll notice the light. Hey. On the tree. Uh, Let me turn around this tree over here now. Just a second. Watch Bruce, sure right uh, the tree. I can see it. Maybe give me a little sideline so I can climb the tree. Okay. Okay, let's step back and not walk all over. Come back here, somebody put a beam on them. You're going to have to be back 10 15 feet. You see it? Okay, fine. Okay, lights off. Side. This is the center spot we're looking at now, we're almost at the center. Yeah, Slight increase, increase there. This is slightly off center toward the 1-2 uh, side. It's some type of abrasion or something in the ground where the pine needles yes. are all pushed back and we get a high or high uh, reading about deflection of uh, 2 to 3, maybe 4, depending on the point on it. Yes. You said there's a positive after? Yes, there is definitely. Yeah. That's on the center spot. There is an after effect. does that? Man? It means when the lights are turned off, once we are focused in and allow time for the eyes to adjust, we are getting an indication of a heat source coming out of that center spot, as uh, which will show up on the Heat is some form of energy. It's hardly heat at this stage of the game. But it is looking oh. directly overhead One can see an opening in the trees plus some freshly. High branches underground, underneath. Looks like someone of came off about 15 to 20 feet up. Some small branches, about an inch or less in diameter. were we hearing very strange sounds out of the farmer's barnyard animals. It's very, very active, making a awful lot of noise.
0: I know some of that audio is a little hard to hear, and there's a lot of people talking. But what happened was, when being viewed through the starlight scope, the trees were white. Like light would be, suggesting that there was some sort of heat or energy or something emanating from them. So that's pretty interesting. And then, while they're looking at the abrasions, something way more interesting happens. Where? Right where?
1: this position here, straight ahead, in between. There it is again. Watch, yeah, to head off left left, left right there. Sir. There it is. Oh, yeah, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. Sure, yeah. can I a on that? Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. you looks see be uh, maybe a quarter to a half mile, maybe further out. I'm going switch off. The oh, light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from the site. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's the flashlight, sir. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so I can get a better look at it. See if we can get the star scope on it. I right, still there, and all the boringer animals have gotten quiet now. Yeah, you know, we're heading about 110 to 120 degrees from the site out through to the clearing now. Still getting reading on the meter. About two clicks. Three to four clicks. Getting stronger. Now it's, uh, now it's coming up. Hold up. There we go. It's about a fraction of four foot off the ground. It's to set of 110 degrees. All right. all right, just turn the meter off. have got to say that again. off the ground, about 110 degrees, getting a reading of about four clicks. Yes, sir. Yeah, but it's... It, no, it's dying. No, it's dying. I think it's something other than the ground. I think it's something that's something that's it's valuable. a tree right over. We have the first night bird we've seen. We're about 150 or 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There is no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow all it too two. With it this way? Yes, It's right in that house, It's coming this way. Awesome. It is definitely coming its way. this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There is no doubt about it. This is weird. To the left. Yeah, it definitely oh, two, two lights. Two, one light to the front, okay. one light to the left. Keep the flashlights off. There's something very, very strange. Get the headset on. See if it gets any right. stronger. Okay. Let, give, us, give us your Let way back. Notation that this is on a beta reading, too. It's on a beta reading, the beta okay. still has been removed. OK. This is the off it again. But it just moved to the right. Yeah. to the right. Strange. Oh, well, we do want to left. Let's approach right. to the edge of the woods up there. Can you want to do it without lights? Let's do it carefully. Come on. OK, we're looking at the thing. We're probably about two to three hundred yards away. It looks like an eye winking at you. It's still moving from side to side. And when you put the star scope on it, it, it sort of has a hollow center, right dark center. It's, like a pupil of an eye looking at you and winking. And the flash is so bright to the star scope that it uh, almost burns your eye. we uh, passed the farmer's house and across into the next field. And now we have multiple sightings of up to five lights with a similar shape and all, but they seem to be steady now rather than a pulsating or glow with a red flash. We just crossed the, the creek. And uh, we're getting what kind of readings? there? getting three good clicks on the meter and we're seeing strange lights in the sky. Uh, to we're at the far side of the, farmer sh- the second farmer's field, and inmate sighting again about 110 degrees. This looks like it's clear off to the coast. It's right on the horizon. Moves about a bit and flashes from time to time. Still steady aerolip in color. Also, after negative readings in the satellite field, we're picking up the slight readings. Uh, four or five clicks now on the meter. 305. We see strange uh, strobe-like flashes to the uh, Probably sporadic, but there's definitely something there, uh, some kind of phenomenal. Yeah. 305, at about uh, 10 degrees horizon, uh, directly north, we've got two strange objects. A uh, half moon shape, dancing about with colored lights on them. That uh, gets to be about 5 to 10 miles out, maybe less. The half moons have now turned into full circles. I know there was a little eclipse or something there for a minute or two. You know, We've got an object about 10 degrees directly south, 10 degrees off the horizon, and the ones in the north are moving, ones moving away from us, moving out fast. This one on the right, taking away too. Yeah, we're both heading north. Oh, here, here he comes from the south, he's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down and the objects are still in the sky, although the one to the side looks like it's losing a little bit of altitude. We're turning around heading back toward the, the base. The object, is, uh, the object to the south is still beaming down lights to the ground. 4,400 hours, one object is still hovering over Woodbridge Base at about 5 to 10 degrees off the horizon, still moving erratic and similar lights and beaming down this area. All
0: right, that was a lot. So, what you just heard was bits and pieces of Halt and his crew encountering the supposed UFO. Over the years, his as well as the rest of the patrol stories have kind of evolved to the point where it's pretty tough to explain in a way that's in line with everyone's story exactly what they saw. But here's what happened according to Halt's 2010 affidavit which is one of the most recent and most detailed explanations of the event. Lieutenant England spotted a bright glowing object in the forest and pointed it out to Halt, who later described it as being bright red with a dark center. It appeared to be winking like an eye, and it was dripping with what looked like molten metal. As they watched it, Halt claims that it was moving through the trees, bobbing up and down and avoiding making any contact with any of the trees as it moved through them. As it moved, Halt and his crew attempted to approach it, but before they could, it moved out of the forest and into a field where it silently exploded into five white objects and then just sort of disappeared. Naturally, they went out to the field to investigate, and as they were investigating, they saw three or four more objects in the sky to the north. They were brightly colored, changing in shape from elliptical to round, and they moved at very high speeds in sharp angular movements, like they were doing a grid search, Halt says. While they were watching these objects, someone else noticed two more objects hovering to the south. One of these objects actually approached them it positioned itself directly above them at an altitude of about 3 to 5000 feet and began sending down what halt says was a concentrated beam directly to their feet they all just stood there in awe because they had absolutely no idea what it was they didn't know if it was a warning if it was trying to communicate maybe a weapon or a probe no idea And then, just as quickly as it appeared, the object and the beam disappeared. For a moment, the whole team just kind of stood there in a concerned daze. Then they looked to the south and noticed the other object was still over there, now hovering directly over Woodbridge, also shooting down a beam right into the base. They radioed into the base and were informed that it appeared the beams were being shot straight into the weapon's storage area, which Halt found to be a little bit concerning. Moments later, this object disappeared as well. So that's what happened, as best as I can piece it together. Again, a lot of the guys involved have their own version of what happened, and their recollections don't exactly align perfectly with one another. but. I think the tape, at least, is really good evidence. There's not a whole lot of arguing you can do against that. It's just what they saw. And I think it's pretty obvious that they saw something. So the question is, what did they see? What were the indentations that they thought was a landing site? What caused the abrasions in the tree around the landing site Why was there increased radiation, and what were these floating lights and beams that they were seeing everywhere? Not to mention they saw a triangular flying craft, supposedly. What was that? Probably aliens, right? No need to read into this any further. No, not right. Keep listening. Please. Let's start with the indentations at the supposed landing site. As I mentioned, Halt wasn't super impressed with the marks on the landing site, and at one point he asked, is that it? The police took pictures of the marks, which are online and pretty easy to find, and after having looked at them, I've gotta say, I don't know what these guys were thinking. The marks are nothing, and the zoomed out picture, you can't even see them. They put sticks in the picture to mark where they actually were, so you can see the sticks, but the markings are pretty much non-existent. When they zoom in on them, it just looks like a pile of pine needles and leaves that someone stepped in. There's nothing there. I'm on team alien. I want these things to be an alien spaceship landing support pole, hole, just as much as anyone else, but as far as I'm concerned, they're not evidence of anything. The police said it was probably rabbits. They called in some local foresters who said the same thing. The only thing a little odd is the way they form the corners of a triangle, but that's not really that crazy of a coincidence. That leads us to the abrasions, which Halt was a little bit more interested in, stating that he had never seen a damaged pine react so quickly. Well, that's because the damage wasn't that recent. The local foresters would actually create axe marks on trees that were intended to be chopped down soon, and they had left marks on these trees sometime before all this stuff started happening. So these marks had nothing to do with the marks on the ground and nothing to do with the UFO landing. In fact, the trees were actually chopped down shortly after. So that's another strike against this landing site. Next we have the radiation. In Holt's affidavit, he claims to have readings at the landing site that were significantly higher than the surrounding areas. Which is kind of true, but there's some issues with that too. First, they were getting all kinds of readings inside the triangle. When they first measured the first indentation, they got what they called minor readings. On the second indentation, they got nothing. They said it was dead. What Halt says was established as the baseline was something around 1 one-hundredth of a millirintgen, which is the unit of measurement we're working with here. So we're probably at 1 or 2 hundredths of a millirintgen at those first two indentations. Then, when they got towards the center, it jumped up to about 5 one-hundredths. But then they go back to the first one and it stays at five one hundredths. They go back to the middle and it briefly jumps to seven. And after this, they sweep the area some more and Halt turns off the recorder because nothing interesting is happening. So what it really seems like is that the whole area was something like four hundredths of a millirentgen with an uncertainty of three hundredths or so just because of all the fluctuations that they were getting. And that was probably some sort of issue with the device and didn't necessarily have anything to do with the environment. It's also important to note that the device they were using was intended to measure large amounts of radiation, like nuclear blast radiation. Their 1 100th baseline was actually the smallest unit that this thing was even capable of picking up. When the manufacturer was contacted after, they actually stated that these readings were of little or no significance. They just weren't using the right device for what they were trying to measure. So as far as I'm concerned, that's strike three for this landing site. There's really nothing at the landing site itself that can't be explained. It's just a handful of really insignificant events that, when paired with some crazy lights and some freaked out guys in the woods, kind of seems like a UFO landing site but after reading into this and seeing the pictures and learning more about the radiation sensor there's just no way as far as I'm concerned the landing site's debunked but what about the lights they saw that's a completely different situation that seems like it would be much harder to explain away listening back to the tape you can hear they're Somewhat interested in the landing site, but you can tell they weren't too terribly concerned with it. Halt especially is not that impressed. But as soon as the lights appear, things get way more animated. You can tell that these guys definitely saw something. Or at least they thought they saw something. You would think all these Air Force guys would be pretty clear-headed about the whole thing and would see things for what they were without sensationalizing too much. But obviously that's not the case, since they somehow managed to mistake some holes a rabbit made in the woods for an alien landing site. So unfortunately it kind of makes you feel like you have to take everything that they say with a grain of salt. That maybe they applied the same level of imagination to these lights floating around and the shooting beams coming down from the sky. A couple of theories have emerged as to what they saw. One of the most convincing is that they were just seeing the Orford-Ness Lighthouse, which was on the coast about 6 or 7 miles to the east of Woodbridge, and was visible from certain parts of the forest. It's the same lighthouse that the police the first night told the patrol that they saw. The men from the first night, as well as Colonel Halt all reported that the floating light was located east of them, which is where the lighthouse would have been. Halt claims that he knew about the lighthouse and that the unexplained lights he was seeing to the east were not from it. He claims that he was able to see the lighthouse off to the right of the lights. He stated in a later interview that the lighthouse was visible the whole time, it was readily apparent and it was 30 to 40 degrees off to our right. The problem with that is 30 to 40 degrees to their right was southeast, not east, where the lighthouse should have been. So it's believed that what he was attributing to the lighthouse was something else, possibly the shipwashed Light lightship, which was located more to the southeast and had a flashing light on top of it as well. This leaves the lighthouse unaccounted for to the east in the direction the mysterious lights were coming from. So, to say that it's possible that maybe these mysterious lights were coming from the lighthouse, I think is kind of an understatement. At this point, it's starting to sound like that's a pretty safe bet. And this theory is actually given further ammo by the fact that Halt usually was stationed in Bentwaters, not Woodbridge. Bentwaters is to the north of Woodbridge which means the lighthouse would be to the southeast. So that's where he's used to seeing the lighthouse, to the southeast. When he saw a light to the east, he assumed it could not be the lighthouse, and instead attributed a different light that was in the southeast where he thought it would be to the lighthouse. Another interesting piece of this theory is that when you listen back to the cassette recording, the Orford Ness actually has a flash rate of five seconds. Now listen to this clip from when the light is first spotted. Straight ahead, in between, there it is again.
1: Watch straight ahead off my flash, right there. So there it is. Hey, I see it too.
0: Notice anything? The airman calls out that he sees the light, and then exactly five seconds later, he calls out again. So it kind of seems like he's looking at a light from a lighthouse that turns on every five seconds. So to me, the lighthouse theory seems pretty convincing. It's a little baffling to me that this group of military guys weren't able to correctly identify a lighthouse in the middle of the night. But at this point, if the alternative is that it was an alien spacecraft, it's kind of hard not to lean in that direction. It's also interesting that it's never mentioned in the tape. You'd think if they're chasing a light through the woods, they can see the lighthouse off to the side. They would at least mention it, but there's no mention. Oh, there's some... Other theories floating around, some people say that it was a downed Soviet spy satellite falling from the sky, but there's not really much evidence to back that up, so that theory doesn't really have any legs. There's also an interesting theory that a security policeman named Kevin Condy actually was driving his vehicle around through the woods and created the strange lights. He actually came forward at one point and said that he was doing that. But he later retracted the statement and no further evidence was found. I tend to think that maybe he was actually doing that and maybe that could have been part of what they saw. And maybe when this thing started to get a lot of publicity, he thought that maybe it was a good idea to not have his name attached to that. I can't say that I would blame him. So maybe it's a combination of Kevin and his police car and the lighthouse that they were seeing. With all these theories, it definitely seems like there's a pretty logical explanation to what they saw, at least while they were in the forest. But at the end of the tape, when the UFO splits in two and shoots down a tractor beam directly at their feet, that seems a little bit more complicated. Halt describes it as two half-moon-shaped objects with colored lights that eventually turn into full circles. And in a write-up that he wrote about the event a few days later, he reported that the light stayed in the sky for for several hours after the events, which skeptics say indicate that maybe they were stars. In fact, Sirius, the brightest star visible from Earth, would have been located right around where the mysterious object to the south appeared. So maybe the so-called tractor beam was just a glare from looking at such a bright object? This one is definitely one of the harder pieces for me to accept. It's tough for me to believe that anyone, especially an Air Force colonel, who you would think would be pretty level-headed, could look at a star and mistake it for a UFO shooting beams into an Air Force base. I guess after all the other things that they saw that had them kind of on edge, maybe their imaginations were running a little wild. I don't know. There's just so many logical explanations to what they saw that it just makes it tough to believe everything that they say they saw, or at least that the things they say they saw were anything unusual. And then the last thing really to address is the supposed sighting of the triangular craft, both by Halt and by the guys in the patrol that went out the first night. This part is really interesting, but it's kind of hard to read into because there's so many conflicting reports. Hald claims to have seen some sort of floating triangular craft in the forest moving through the trees, but in the recording, all we hear about is the light. There's no mention of them chasing a spaceship, he just says that he sees a strange light and they're following it through the forest. This spacecraft kind of seems like something that evolves with the story as it gains more publicity. And then two of the other guys involved on the first night, Airman John Burroughs and Sergeant Jim Pinniston, also claimed to have seen this triangular craft, but their stories vary wildly as well. Some versions of the story say they only saw a light. Some versions say they saw the triangular craft. And they've even got on record reporting that somehow it connected with their brains and transferred binary code to them. What they've said has changed so much it's hard to really believe any of it. They don't seem like great witnesses. It honestly kind of seems like they're making stuff up to keep themselves in the spotlight. But who knows, maybe they did see something. Maybe the aliens were shooting their tractor beam over the base to steal a weapon or something. Maybe the government was transporting something that we weren't supposed to know about. And it's being covered up and that's why the details are so sparse the story of Rendlesham Forest is definitely an interesting one it's tough because Halt talks about it with a lot of conviction and still firmly believes that he saw something strange that night and on the surface it seems like that's probably the case there's a lot of things that seem convincing that audio cassette tape is extremely convincing The first time I listened to that, I was freaking out. I was like, these guys are absolutely seeing an alien. There's no way they're not. But as you look into it more, it's just kind of hard to tell. It seems like it's just a bunch of really simple things that put together in just the right way made it seem like there was more going on than there actually was. And the fact that so many things don't add up and everyone has their own story and they've evolved so much just makes it kind of difficult. But at the same time, there's some parts that I just don't buy. I have trouble believing the theory about the stars being what they saw shooting down tractor beams. That seems like a bit of a stretch, even for these guys who clearly misinterpreted some things. And right now, all we can really do with the triangular spacecraft is just sort of write it off as something that was tacked on later. Which, it kind of seems like the case, but what if it wasn't? I don't know. And there you have it. That concludes another episode of Simply Strange. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you had a wonderful time and learned something new along the way. Who knows? Maybe you'll run into a trivia question about what lighthouse Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt thought was a UFO in 1980. If you did enjoy it, please subscribe. It would be much appreciated. We've got new episodes every other Wednesday. Right now I'm only on YouTube and SoundCloud, but I'm planning on launching it on Apple podcasts in two weeks in conjunction with the next episode. So keep an eye out for that too. Until next time, don't get abducted by any lighthouses and have a beautiful day.